and yeah, like reading through and underlining things, I was like, oh yeah, I can't believe how quickly that's become a weird feeling. Mm -hmm. The like, because I was like, oh, that's a cool line. I'm like, I'm going to have to turn this into a coherent sentences where I talk about this book. <laughs> Welcome to Bread and Barricades, season two, Alima's podcast. <laughs> this is Nemo Martin, your host. I use they, them pronouns. And uh, today, about 30 minutes ago, um, producer Julian <laughs> sent me a, a video of the BTS boys <laughs> doing one of those like reality TV shows. It's called Run BTS. It's, there are loads of episodes on YouTube. And now we've both fallen down that hole. So I guess I'm a K-pop stan now. <laughs> <laughs> I've resisted for 10 years, 12 years. Oh my God, 2008 when my friends were all like getting into K-pop and I was like, no, I'm staunchly an anime person. <laughs> but it's come for me. It's come for me and it's my time. I am now uh, in the BTS army. Well, that second puberty really hit you hard, Nemo. This is Stevie, she, her pronouns. I'm your primary and secondary researcher. Um, the, uh, I, think it, I think it was actually last night as well that um, my girlfriend and my housemates were all watching their favorite k-pop songs and music videos and also did a bts one because yeah i also did the like no nah, i'm an anime fan i like flirted with pretending that i listened to um vocaloids but i didn't even really do that <laughs> <laughs> but watching them last night you're like there's like a whole story going on in all of these music <laughs> videos there's a lot of outfits this is quite thrilling Oh my god. I'm so like I'm very glad that this video Dynamite didn't come out like eight years ago maybe because I had such a thing for suits. Like I think all of Tumblr did, right? You know, when that like didn't we all? Yeah. <laughs> this like it really rekindled something in me. Oh, I don't wanna like other listeners the if there's any crossover K-pop stands. But I didn't like the colour, the light lighting on the Dynamite video. It felt a bit washed out for me. Mm, like, I felt like it could have popped more because their outfit, their little pastel outfits as well were so good. And I really <laughs> wanted to, like, live it. Stevie, are you deliberately antagonising the BTS army so that we get viral? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's that I know I don't have Twitter, so I'm like, where are you going to come for me? <laughs> So segue into women. Oh yeah, shit, that's my job. So <laughs> I've not done one of these in a bit. Um speaking of K-pop stats. <laughs> Can you imagine if Victor Hugo lived today? Do you think Victor Hugo would have been a BTS stan? Hmm, interesting. I'm going to need to let that percolate before I can come up with a fan theory. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, the last time that I was reading the book was when I thought that we were done with Waterloo, <laughs> and then it turned out that I wasn't released yet. <laughs> and so, like, we all remember what that was like. Like, 
every detail was very painstaking and like nothing we we weren't spared no one was spared and then we're like we're back to Jean Valjean first line Jean Valjean has been recaptured and you're like great Jean Valjean's back line two it will be appreciated if we do not dwell on the painful details (laughs) (laughs) and we're just immediately like oh I remember this feeling I hate you (laughs) (laughs) but so basically this first chapter book two the ship Orion is um that is like oh, I'm not going to tell you the details, but I will give you these two newspaper clippings uh, from the time. And yet, so one of the the first one is taken from Le Drapeau Blanc. That yeah, they kind of retell what's gone on with Jean Valjean. Um, that there was a man called Monsieur uh, Madeleine that he was the mayor for a few years, rebuilt a local industry, blah, blah. He was appointed mayor. It turns out that he was the ex-convict Jean Valjean, um, and he's been sent back to prison. He took out a bank sum amounting to more than half a million, which it is said he got legitimately through his business activities. (laughs) Um, He's going back to Toulon. We don't know where the money is. Uh, and I'll get more into the second one in a sec, but it's like basically a similar tune. I was just like, did he just not want to say how he was recaptured? <laughs> <laughs> he just not... couldn't think of something dramatic yeah. enough. <laughs> like, that was what I was thinking. Like, I didn't feel like he wanted to spare me because he's never wanted to spare us before. I was like, <laughs> you, were you just hit by such writer's block where you were like, I can just. <laughs> Style this one out. He's like, he needs prison break to be invented. <laughs> well, just the like the chase down and capture, which you'd think would be really exciting. Mm. But Ned, nothing's more exciting than history, Stevie. <laughs> than pretending that this is all real history, things that really happened because I collected these magazines. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the second article, um, which is a little more detailed, is taken from the Journal de Paris um, of the same date, uh, 25th of July, 1823. So the first one, you know, it starts with, oh, Mr. Monsieur Madeleine, uh, he did good for the city. And then he turns out he was a conflict. Oops. The <laughs> second one is like this villain of a man. This wretch, uh, it is a lot more damning from the outset. Um, mm. And it's like, but he was caught thanks to the uh, indefatigable zeal of the public prosecutor's office. Is it, do you think, a commentary on uh, like broadsheets versus rags and then how even broadsheets are wrong? <laughs> it, it feels like it is a commentary on something. <laughs> but, but like the, I'm not familiar enough between the difference of the Journal de Paris versus Le Drapeau Blanc that mm-hmm. yeah it feels like one of them is like yeah okay it turns out he was a convict but he did some good versus the other one like this horrible little man and I guess that he was the mayor but he succeeded in, in becoming the mayor and yeah the very like different language between the two but like mm. so I guess he 
Victor Hugo doesn't like the Journal de Paris. I don't know why, but... <laughs> I mean, if it was like two years ago, I would have said like, oh, it's kind of like, you know, reading the Daily Mail versus the Guardian. But now it's like, they're basically becoming the <laughs> same the thing. Same. Yeah. Yeah, the second one that's in more detail, like, oh, so he was then caught again. He refused to defend himself in court. He's found guilty, He was so he was given the death sentence, refused to lodge an appeal, but the king in his inexhaustible clemency has been so good <laughs> as to commute his sentence to penal servitude for life. Um, they Actually, no, now I'm reading that line out loud, I'm like, is the Journal de Paris more monarchist and Victor Hugo doesn't like that? Mm-hmm. When... Was it, uh, I think it might be in the future rather than like in the past. Uh, this is one of those times where I'm like, I can't remember when I read this. Um, when Victor Hugo is basically like the monarchy, like the king, uh, the penal servitude is on a galley ship, which is a slave ship. It, it's literally like um, Victor Hugo is like, oh, he's the king is being so clement, um, sarcasm, because the monarchy needs bodies they need slaves mm. to um row the ship and so it's like uh you know he he in the public eye it's like oh yeah we see that he's being so kind and lenient to spare this man his life but the actual commentary is and he's going to prison for indentured servitude and you know like he's just becoming a sort of uh unpaid Laborer. Mm. Which is good that Victor Hugo is not doesn't like them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's better than if Victor Hugo was like, Yeah, yeah. Abolish the death penalty. Make people go in the fake slavery system. Mm. I had yeah, I didn't know the I didn't think to look up penal servitude. So that's a very good context. <laughs> I mean, your primary and secondary research. <laughs> well, I can only do one job a week. <laughs> I will try and be more secondary. Um, it is basically what's happening in America, and I am mm. sure many other countries. Um, what was it that post the other day, which was like America is literally burning alive because uh, the yeah. new slave force, aka prisoners, have got fucking covid so they can't go out and fan the fires yeah. it was like yeah that's yeah i didn't know that before that post so you're like it's literally always that thing with tumblr where you're like this is how i find this horrible <laughs> thing out yeah. Mm. yeah so victor hugo is that tumblr poster <laughs> why is nobody talking about this <laughs> Um, so yeah, that is the end of that article. Um, that the la- the last line of it, Jean Valjean was immediately taken to the prison hulks at Toulon. So Jean Valjean's prison number has changed from. I was I was like, and I'll say it to the tune of the song, and just immediately the tune of the song went. Went from two four six zero one to nine four three zero. So take it away, Nemo. <laughs> Two, four, six, oh, one. Nine, four, three, oh. <laughs> <laughs> he really wasn't thinking about 
the future musical uh, options when he came up with the second number. Yeah, I mean, it's that problem that Japan had where they had to change the number from 24601 oh, yeah. because it just like doesn't sound good in Japanese. God damn it, Victor Hugo. Um, Why didn't you think about your Japanese-speaking audience, Victor Hugo? At, 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 at. <laughs> oh, so then we get this little, like, essay from Victor Hugo that is one of those things, I, I think it's come up before, you know, where you're, uh, I think when we were talking about the Japanese Les Mis movie, like, what individualism means in the West mm. is different from in Japan, that, like, what Victor Hugo feels is right at the time and maybe was right at the time question mark versus like us reading this now you're like I don't know Victor Hugo um because mm. he's basically talking about so once uh Monsieur, Ma- Monsieur Madeline was taken from Montreux-Semer that basically the whole town tanked because they were doing so well with him in charge of the factories because he taught them the good ways of making jet beads, which he'd learned from being in prison. Um, that, yeah, but the with him gone, the moving spirit was indeed gone. Self-interested, parceling out of the spoils of the once great. Yeah, so basically the people who were now at the top with Jean Valjean the mayor gone basically become their worst selves. Sorry, I just had the worst. Now that daddy's gone, <laughs> babies can play. Well, they play too hard and they threw all the toys out the cribs and all the work went gone and no one's being paid anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's like the lieutenants crowned themselves kings. Foreman acted as factory owners. So like that kind of vibes that uh, from then on, everything was done on a small scale instead of a large for money instead of the general good. Monsieur Madeleine had had it all under control. He gave direction. With his removal, it was every man for himself. The spirit of organisation gave way to the spirit of conflict. Yeah, but it's kind of that thing where on the one hand you're like, ah, oh, it, it shows how good Jean Valjean was, that you know he cared so much about the community, that he was able to turn this place around so much. But then it's also that thing where you're like, oh, it's, is very much doubling down on, with this one man gone, everything falls to ruin. Instead of wanting to show what a good community can do, it's kind of, oh, what's, it's not, this isn't the word I'm looking for, but, you know, like, spotlighting the individual. Mm. Yeah, and it's got that, like, these poor people, these, like, uneducated people can't, do things on their own they do need like an educated poor to like lead them otherwise they're all gonna go and miss mm. um yeah uh, it's so annoying <laughs> Hugo is so annoying mm. on, on some way there's like the um I guess we can't talk about it being like capitalism and we've like talked about this before and when we were talking about the factory before but it's both like good that it's good that they are working that they're not just like all subservient under one like Jeff Bezos who comes in with loads of money and like tries to make everything like the same but also it's it's bad because it's like you're not working together guys you need to unionize yeah Um, yeah so like 
Yeah, but you're like, oh, you're really showing how good this ex-convict person was and what they can bring to society, but at the mm. same time perpetuating that, like, we need one really good guy at the top. Because mm. about that one guy at the top. And you're like, I thought you didn't like the monarchy, uh, you know, but <laughs> you're kind of getting some divine ruler vibes out of you. That's, yeah, interesting, that. <laughs> Like, I'm sure we can read this however we want, and we will, yeah, but... Yeah, um, there was uh, an article either I read, I feel like I read it, um, which is basically about how um, Victor Hugo really wanted everyone to be educated, right? He wanted mm. to have a public school system where everyone, regardless of class or money, got educated. But one thing that I wrote about a couple of weeks ago is how it, the the school that he's advocating for is the colonial school. Mm. And it's not just colonial, but it's also the classist school. And so it's that thing of like, you know, the Tenardiers, they went and like educated themselves, but that's not the right kind of education. Yeah. And they're reading the wrong kind of books. Victor Hugo is basically always like, oh, yeah, we should be educating people our way into the proper way so that they learn... Yeah. Class consciousness as they should. Well, I mean, that's just so Victor Hugo through and through. Where he's like, I do believe in this good thing, and we're like, whoa, Victor Hugo. And he's like, mm, but as long as I say it's okay and it's the way that I want it, and I am still at the top. Yeah, literally. Oh, what's that quote? Um, but, 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 I think it's called. Um, so, yeah, like later on, you get people like. Carter Woodson in 1933 um like the first quote in the book is um when you control a man's thinking you do not have to worry about his actions you do not have to tell him to stand here or go yonder he will find his proper place and he will stay in it you do not need to send him to the back door he will go without being told in fact if there is no back door he will cut one for a special benefit his education makes it necessary dark it's dark, it's dark. And while um, Carter Woodson was specifically talking about black people in America in the 30s, it's still, it, it is that thing of like, that Hugo is perpetuating of mm. like, the world should get better. And in these ways that I dict dictate, yeah. because I am the clever white man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that is such a thing. Because there'll be these lines where he'll be like, fucking dragging people and that, and you know, and being like, and meanwhile, the poor are suffering this. And you're like, yeah. And then his next line, you're like, oh, no, why didn't you stop? <laughs> so, yeah, end of chapter one. Fucking sucks in uh, <laughs> May now. <laughs> chapter two. <laughs> which I think this is the one, Nemo, you'd kind of warned me about ahead of time, uh, in which are to be read two lines of verse, perhaps by the devil. Ah, uh, Yes. <laughs> Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so after he started the last chapter with like, <laughs> I won't get into the details. <laughs> Before going any further, it is appropriate at this point to relate in some detail a singular oh incident God. that took place at Montresor May at about the same time, which may not be unconnected with certain conjectures made by the public prosecutor, but like, who's to say? Not He's such me. a fucking dickhead. I hate him so much. <laughs> I know. Um, so basically, in Montfermeil, there was this local superstition that uh, 
the devil digs holes and buries treasure in the area. Yeah, this is where the uh, I was going to say ye old racism, but it's it's just racism, <laughs> isn't it? It's <laughs> just plain old racism. Um, yeah, so the kind of superstition is that if you're out at night, you might in the forest encounter a black man who looks like a carter or a woodcutter, dressed in wooden clogs, dressed in trousers, and a coarse smock, wearing a cap, and maybe you'll have some horns. kind of buries the lead on the horns thing, which I like that bit only. <laughs> mm. And then, so... Basically, there's three things that can happen if you come across such a person. And then it's one of those things where you're like, oh, does this, depending on your translator, can sort of change the flavor of something so much. Oh, I forgot to say we're on the new translator. Oh, yeah. <laughs> At the end of the episode, stay tuned for that. Um, so, yeah, so the first thing that may happen is that you'll approach him. And you'll realize it's just, he's just a peasant and that he looks black because it is dusk, which I thought was like, oh, so they implying, even though this is superstition, is that it will be a black man. Oh, it's just the lighting that will make you think that. But then in the other two versions, there isn't that same sort of uncertainty. They're like, no, 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 he, he will be. But yeah, I wasn't sure if that was the translation or... What Hugo was getting at with that, <laughs> basically. But yeah, so the first one, he, he will just be a peasant. He's not digging a hole. Um, he's cutting grass. He's holding a pitchfork. That's why he thought it was horns. But uh, you will go home and die within the week. In the <laughs> second version, uh, you'll watch him dig this hole. When he leaves, you run over and you uh, dig it up again and take out the treasure, which he's put in little quotation marks. In this case, you will die within the month. Uh, third option, you don't speak to him, you don't look at him, you just run away, you will die within the year. Um, and then there's a line that I did kind of enjoy. As all three methods have their drawbacks, the second, which at least offers some advantages, among others, that owning of treasure, if only for a month, it's generally the one adopted. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I liked the like, sometimes Victor Hugo is humorous and I don't like to admit it, but like, also I guess coming off the back of the the, chap, the uh, chapter ahead of it where you're like, what are you doing? Like, are you saying that they're racist? Is, is it you, Victor Hugo? Like, maybe it's the lighting, but I, I don't really know what you're getting at here. That the little... Well, at least you'll own treasure for a month. Like you'll, you're gonna die, but like you'll have something for a month. Yeah, this chapter, it's um, it's interesting. I've been wanting to write about it for a while because it is that thing of like, half of me is really vindicated by, like, there's something there's something about racism where it's so much easier sometimes when racism is just so on the nose. Because it's like, oh, I don't have to like um, prove that it's racism. Like it's just it's just clear as day, capital R racism. Whereas like you know microaggressions and stuff like that can often be harder to prove. Yeah. And so when I was like, starting writing my PhD, I was like, oh, it's going to be really hard to prove that you know Victor Hugo is racist. 
um, because a lot of my argument is just being like, you know, there's like subtle imagery and stuff like that. And I was rereading it and I got to this chapter and I was like, oh no, this is like capital R racism. This is like just virulent anti-blackness. Like that's, it's, there is something like uh, vindicating in that because it, A, makes my argument easier. I mean, I still have to do things like, um, like, like you said at the beginning, but like, um, uh, ye oldy racism isn't ye oldy racism. Um, there's a really good article in the Atlantic by someone called Noah, Noah Balatsky, um, which is called The Product of Its Time Defense, No Excuse for Sexism and Racism, which has this really good quote, which is like, so in the first place, the idea that sexism or racism is a product of its time assumes that the past was self-evidently worse than the present. This is unduly flattering to the present, which has by no means overcome prejudice or stereotype. Mm. Um, and another one, which is like um, saying that Lovecraft was of his time erases all of the folks, not not least black people who were not racist or held different views, and it erases Lovecraft himself turning him into a blank slate devoid of free will simply regurgitating accepted wisdom as if he had no other choice Mm. so yeah like thinking about people like victor hugo and how this is a choice for him to compare black people to the devil um and to use it uh for his audience as well because it's not just you know the characters in the book who are affected by it there's people reading it who will read it and be like oh if i see a black person in the woods he might be a devil um and then the other half of me is like kind of excited because there is also the implication that uh, Jean Valjean is black in this because the person later on that we find, spoiler alert, um, burying stuff in the woods is Jean Valjean. So implication kind of that yeah. he might be a black man. I feel like he doesn't in this chapter say anything strong enough to dispute that mm. like i mean it's not like he, great yeah. representation <laughs> <laughs> you're like yay jean Valjean can be black and i guess um, Victor hugo this whole time was like he's a devil but he found god so good that he's still fine <laughs> we'll allow it yeah literally it's like oh thanks for that Table scrap, Victor Hugo. It's not even a table scrap. It's like fucking garbage that you brushed off of the table, and you're like, feast, my child. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, because yeah, it's the thing about because Victor Hugo loved to go on those little walks and be like, I took the people of the town. So you're like, it's possible this was a superstition, a local superstition, Mm. is to say. Well, I'm like he's gonna say he always says. Um, <laughs> so, like, I feel like based on a lot of the rest of this book we've read so far, I'd be like, okay, so it seems pretty likely that this was a superstition in that little town. But you telling it and not really condemning it mm. means you're now bringing this superstition to other people. Yeah. So. Even if you're being like, no, 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 it's not me who's bad. I'm just saying what the small town thinks. I'm like, well, you didn't... Like, the line that I was saying, like, gave me a chuckle of the, like, oh, well, at least you'll have treasure for a month. But he doesn't say that you won't die, so... (laughs) You don't go out of your way to disprove it. Yeah. He's actually, like... 
he's being that dude who's like, well, if I can be devil's advocate for a second. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Victor Hugo, does the devil need a fucking advocate and does it need you? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. Chapter two, Dicey. Um, (laughs) So he's like saying all that stuff and then he quotes, so the the lines uh, that were from a verse that could be about the devil, he was like, so they're in barbarous Latin, uh, left by the wicked Norman monk named um, Tiffron? Trifon? Oh, Nemo. Mm, I'm going to say Trifon, but... Yeah, so Trifon. He was a bit of a sorcerer. Um, (laughs) Kind of, like, goes off a bit. It's like, so this Trifon is buried at the Abbey of... uh, he in a bari- This trifon is buried in an abbey near Rouen, and toads breed on his grave. Oh wow! <laughs> like, oh wow! Quite a, quite a sick burn. I love that. Oh my god! I hope fucking toads breed on Victor Hugo's grave. Because <laughs> like us little goblins are like, ah, you can breed on my grave, toads. <laughs> But, yeah, saying that to someone else, I was like, whoa, you fucking got him. Yeah. That is such a sick... Oh, God, I'm so annoyed. <laughs> this whole chapter where you're like, I'm feeling everything. <laughs> um, yeah, so Trifon, with his grave of breeding toads, has his lines about... Uh, the devil and these holes that he digs. Um, so Victor Hugo first himself says, like, what is the devil's treasure? A sou, occasionally a silver coin, a stone, a skeleton, a bleeding corpse, sometimes a ghost folded into four, like a sheet of paper, and a wallet, <laughs> some, sometimes nothing. So he says that, and he's like, which is... So here's now those two lines that Trifon said, and he puts it in the, um, in the Latin. Which translates to he digs and in the dark hole buries treasure. A sou, coins, stone, stones, a corpse, phantoms, and nothing. Like you're like, did you just hope your audience didn't know Latin? Or I wouldn't have a translator's note. Because you literally just what you just said what he said. Like <laughs> he just really wants to fucking be clever. So hard. Those are some of the things you could find if find in this hole that the devil is digging um it's like these days sometimes people find a powder flask with bullets um sometimes greasy playing cards obviously uh used by devils <laughs> um trifon does not record these two finds since trifon lived in the 20th century and the devil does not seem to have had the wit to invent gunpowder um before roger bacon <laughs> i just don't know who he's coming for <laughs> Sick burn on someone, dude. Yeah. But I was like, is it on the devil for being too slow? Is it on Christians for believing in a devil? Is it on Trifon? Is it on gunpowder? Someone's getting toads fornicating (laughs) on their grave, but I don't know who. (laughs) But so all of this long window dressing to say that in Montfermeil. (laughs) <laughs> when Jean Valjean had been prowling around, um, there was an old road mender named Bolletruel who was behaving oddly in the forest. Um, and would you believe it was an ex-convict? So I was like, oh, well, we've got our um, 
parallel to Jean Valjean, maybe. <laughs> but yeah, everyone is very suspicious of this man because he was just too respectful and too humble. Fuck off. Fuck off. The only thing in his favor was that he was a drunkard. Yeah, the women who saw him would mistake him for Beelzebub, and then they'd recognize that it was uh, Boletruel and was scarcely more reassured. So he doesn't say that he's black, but I feel Mm -hmm. like based on what he'd said in the chapters leading up to this, and how if you saw a black man in the woods with a pitchfork Mm. could be the devil and I was like I feel like the same way you were saying that you're like well based on this chapter you could probably you could read Jean Valjean as a person of color though like Mm. is this implied Mm -hmm. but yeah either way like he doesn't say but he set up a lot in the lead up to this I Uh, do think you are right in that reading because there is uh, how many is that? I think there are four canonical references to black people, and they're all criminals. So, you know, this one is a uh, no. Wouldn't you believe a criminal? Wouldn't you believe it? <laughs> um, yeah, and it's that like um, so later on in the Tenadier's, uh, uh, uh house slum, they basically do blackface, and uh, the quote is literally um, they put black paint on their face so that they looked like the devil or a black man whichever you feared most so yeah I feel like nice um here what's his name Bulatrel. yeah uh yeah he's just doing exactly the same thing yeah whoo deep sigh powerful (laughs) we're getting through this chapter I promise so he's been being shifty out in the woods and he's been carrying a little pit, his uh, spade and pitchfork around. So people are like, ah, oh, he must have seen the devil. And he's looking for that treasure. People were curious. But the people who were the most curious was a schoolmaster and the innkeeper Tenardier. <gasps> who was friendly with everybody and not about striking up a relationship uh, with Boulatruel. <laughs> Just to get that hot goss. <laughs> Yeah, so they basically, I don't know if we ever meet the school teacher again, so I'm like, why this character, Jean Valjean? But also, Jean Valjean, Victor Hugo, oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) But also, it's Victor Hugo, so anyone could come back at any time. But yeah, that they're like, okay, oh, Boletrel, back in the day, he wouldn't have held out against a water test or torture to tell us what he's, you know, what he's up to. That Tenardier is like, let's put him to the wine test. (laughs) (laughs) so they get him very drunk and he's actually like he can hold his drink very well and stays like almost as stoic as a judge uh is the way he's described that like they eventually after doing this quite a few times managed to just about piece together that uh one morning when he was at uh at work in the woods he saw a shovel and a pick under a bush almost as if they'd been hidden, um, intrigue, that he then later on saw a certain individual who wasn't from these parts and that Boulatruel knew very well, which Tenardier translated as a fellow inmate from the prison hulks, heading down the road. Uh, initially, Boulatruel wasn't going to follow him or anything, but he was carrying this really large chest that was too big 
to not have money but too small for a corpse so it has mm-hmm. to be cash um and was like okay actually maybe i should have followed him but from a safe distance because he sort of figured oh if we bump into each other i guess he'll have to kill me they're <laughs> <laughs> so like oh uh, wow what was the uh oh that victor hugo was like how the touching demonstrations of feeling on the part of two old comrades encountering each other again. It was like, you you made wow. the main character an ex-convict, but yeah. the level of just like, what's the word I'm looking for, Nemo? Where he's just like, disdain in yeah, that sentence. It's just like, a lot. Um, and that, yeah, that Bulletel knew, you know, if an altercation was to happen, he'd probably lose because he knows this man is three times stronger than him. <laughs> so like, oh, strong. There's a little hint. So, yeah, he waited too long to try and follow him. So he doesn't know where this thing is buried. But when he saw him passing by again, he didn't have the box. So he's basically been going out into the woods, trying to find this chest of gold. And after a little while, he's kind of given up on it. No one thinks much of it. The old the old crones are like, yes, the devil came for sure. <laughs> and that's the end of that very um, chapter. Like, I also know that I presented it to you in a very chaotic way. But the chapter itself is like, takes you places. And I don't know if it's trying to show a lot of Victor Hugo's ass, but like, he's, show- he's like accidentally showing it. Like, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it it was full of uh, all the stuff that we love and hate about Victor Hugo. But then uh, chapter three, which is so helpfully titled, the ankle chain must have been worked on previously to break it a single <laughs> hammer blow. <laughs> which is a thing, which is a line that is not said in the chapter. So I guess without that chapter header... I would not have known that. So fucking stupid. Wait, let me get my rose copy. <laughs> oh, I've got um, I've got Denny. Oh, propping up my laptop. And I can get my uh, actual French one as well. Anyway, where are we? We're at the beginning. We're not. We passed Waterloo. Chap- Thanks. Fuck. Chapter three of book two, the Orion. The Or. Yeah. All right. Is it Orion? Yes. Or the Orion. Oreos, dip it in milk. (laughs) I was just going to accept Orion. uh, And then um, chapter three, how the chain on the shackles must have undergone preparatory treatment to be shattered like that with one whack of the hammer. Wow, that's just a chapter (laughs) in itself. Danny likes to keep shit suspenseful. Well, I don't know if it's suspenseful. His one is just the broken shackle. Hmm. There's none of this like, oh, just so you know, some work of fun in. It's gonna break really easily with a hammer. I mean, Hugo's is, um, and I'm probably not gonna keep this full thing in because it's French. Kilfe que la chaine de la manille et subi un certain travail preparatoire. So I think it is the rose one. Um, <laughs> that was way too long. <laughs> it was so long. <laughs> and every word had every letter in it. 
Okay, so I guess he was like, look, I actually forgot to put in the body of this chapter, but I've got chapter <laughs> titles. Don't worry about it, editor. I got this. Yeah. Um. So this is quite a long, well, it felt quite long. Um, chapter because we've not talked about the war in a while. <laughs> I did glance and see the word Napoleon on the page and was like, oh, God. So for my sins, I guess, I can never escape Napoleon. <laughs> um, but yeah, we can't, we start relevantly, I guess, talking about the ship, the Orion, um, that has come into port in Toulon and it's really crippled. Uh, the sea has been rough with it. Um, it's coming into harbour making a big impression that like every chapter you're like wow this is just so victor hugo and then you'll read another chapter it'll be completely different but in a new way you're like this is just so victor hugo um you know how he's just i didn't realize until waterloo how much he loves numbers <laughs> yeah. and just relaying facts and figures that i guess that yeah that he's learned and is like i absolutely am gonna have to talk about this <laughs> <laughs> because so when the ship came in it got its 11 gun salute which it returned shot for shot total 22 <laughs> like thanks oh I can count two <laughs> um, <laughs> but then he gets into that he's like um, this is him doing like a strong read on like war efforts um, so good on him I guess that uh, he's like in the civilised world uh, discharging around the globe every 24 hours 150,000 unnecessary cannon shots. That's six francs per shot. That's 900,000 francs a day. 300 million a year that go up in smoke. This is just one small detail. Meanwhile, the poor are dying of hunger. <laughs> and they're like, okay, you got your numbers in and you got to just come at everyone. Yeah. Yeah, but you're like, yeah, that, that, is, that is a good read. That is a lot of wasted uh, just on pa pageantry. Yeah. I feel like it's one of those things though, like maybe it's the way that you read it, where it's like one of those like Instagram infographic things mm. where it's like where people are so focused on the like, oh, if we didn't shoot like 12 bullets a day, then actually like poor people would be able to eat <laughs> instead of like we should dismantle the like seats of power. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, it does not help that I chose to read it that way. <laughs> well. But yeah, it was that same thing in Waterloo. I can't remember. Like it actually was a it was a big point in mine in the Waterloo one where he was like, This is how many people like died a day or something, was it? Mm. He's done it he's done it a couple times where he just will very suddenly be like, This is this and that costs this and that costs this in a year and this costs this in ten years. But yeah. That was just always the fucking case with Hugo, though, isn't it? Where you're like, it's good, but I don't know that I trust you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, we're sitting there like, but what? But but what, Victor Hugo? What bad thing are you going to say next? <laughs> um, so what's coming up is um, him sort of going off about the Spanish War. The year 1823. The, yeah, this is like a big affair for the Bourbon dynasty. So it's the French were aiding in Madrid. I think I would have to do research, like some secondary research, uh, into the Spanish War to have fully understood 
everything that he's saying because he actually doesn't get into like well like on the one hand he's like listing out a load of things that happened but it's not his like beat by beat this is what happened in the war it's kind of the things that he's like here's the bad shit that happened um he really feels like france's involvement in this was like a really bad thing because because of who they were aiding and the way that they were doing it with like instead that it was like aiding in a war it wasn't them helping with their words which is what he says he you know would prefer france and doing by force of arms what she had achieved by force of intellect but yeah he's like this is a really shameful war by using force to sort of support a monarchy that's kind of what made the bourbons the like french monarchy feel like oh we can do this in france as well now because you know it kind of worked there he did, yeah, he feels like uh, this wasn't a great war and it wasn't great politics, that it was just about being able to buy off the war with money. It, 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 yeah, sorry, I didn't, I didn't have time to read into like the cliff's note of what did happen in the war. So I was just like, I know that Victor Hugo was not happy about the decisions that they made. I've studied history on like English involvement in some wars with and also against Spain. I was like, I don't know which one this is. <laughs> okay, the Civil War. <laughs> Trieno liberal. Trieno liberal. Trieno liberal. I can't pronounce French, let alone Spanish. Um, is a period of three years in the modern history of Spain between 1820 and 1823 when a liberal government ruled Spain after a military uprising in January. 1820. It ended in 1823 when, with the approval of the crowned heads of Europe, a French army invaded Spain and reinstated the king's absolute power. Mm. Mm. Which Hugo isn't happy about because, yeah, then that made the French monarchy like, ah ha ha, we can throw our weight around in France. And that he's basically saying this is what sowed the seeds for another upcoming French rebellion. Um, mm. And then in that very Victor Hugo way, he's like, Fran- France is meant to stir the soul of nations, not stifle it. Since 1792, all revolutions in Europe have been the French Revolution. Liberty mm. radiates from <laughs> France. Um, so that, yeah, basically, he's like, the War of 1823, an outrage against the brave Spanish people was therefore at the same time, and, you know, some may see, say equally, an outrage against the French Revolution. Mm-hmm. I, I, I found a picture which made help us, uh, which is a drawing, a political drawing by George Cruikshank, which shows Louis 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th, Louis XVIII trying on Napoleon's boots. Mm. And it's, yeah, so it's uh, obviously... Uh, uh, yeah, so like the king pretending to be Napoleon, which I'm sure Hugo did not like. Mm. Um, and then I was scrolling through it and I saw the word uh, Fuerte de Trocadero, Trocadero, and I'm like, oh yeah, anime time. <laughs> <laughs> Any That's anime nerds from like. Mean, that could only be the place where we do Purpura <laughs> and Dance Dance Revolution. <laughs> Tokyo Toys. Tokyo Toys. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is what that word also makes me think of. So I'm there with you. Yeah. <laughs> Only 2008 anime gays will understand. In London. <laughs> In London, yeah. Mm. So, yeah. Basically, 
if we're stifling enemy revolution, aren't we really <laughs> stifling the French? I'm really sorry. I just imagined, like, a fucking, like, soldier in 1823 dying um, at whatever fucking actual Trocadero is and being like, wow, my name's going to go down in history. Yeah. And then, like, 200 years later, a fucking 14-year-old is buying, like, Naruto fucking sharing and uh, contact lenses. <laughs> Even words live long enough to see themselves become the villains. <laughs> Sorry, carry on, Mimis. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, this war was disastrous for the Bourbons. They thought it was a success because, yeah, as I say, they didn't see the seeds that they they themselves had planted that they were going to hubris the, the usual and they we just have to have another revolution, basically. Um <laughs> Yeah, they fell into the dreadful error of mistaking the obedience of the soldier for the consent of the nation. And then it's literally like, anyway, back to the story. <laughs> but to the return to the ship of the Orion. Um, yeah, so this ship is in a bad way. But, you know, it's coming into port and it because it has grandeur, the crowd loves grandeur. Uh, so everyone's coming to watch it come in. because I feel like he really likes ships, Victor Hugo. Um <laughs> But it's like, can you not help but go and watch a ship come in? The Magnificence, aren't they just the three forms of matter must all combine and they on a ship and a ship has to contend with all three. Um, then we get some nice imagery of the ship, sort of not human, but like as something alive that it's got iron claws to grab the seabed. It's got wings uh, and feelers more than an insect to uh, catch the wind in the clouds. Uh, its breath is expelled from its cannons. The vessel has a soul, its compass, that guides it always to north. In the dark, its lanterns act as substitutes for the stars. That's so, cute. I like that imagery. Yeah, he likes stars. Because I now all, when I see stars in <laughs> Les Mis, I'm like, oh, Nemo and Javert and the stars, and he's got to have glasses so he can see them. <laughs> This is the legacy that I leave behind. <laughs> mm. But yeah, there's some like nice little like the ship is something living, but then you know also so against the wind it has rope and canvas against water timber, sort of getting it back into its material parts. Um, mm. I think as well there's a um, a running theory. I can't remember where I've read it or like who originated it. Because it's interesting that the lanterns replace the stars because there actually aren't very many actual stars in this book. Whenever somebody looks up, there's always like a cloudy sky. So it's interesting that even on the ship, uh, a lantern is replacing the stars. Aww. That's a nice... Is that a nice one to look out for? That's a something to look out for. It's something, yeah. It's definitely a something. I'm wondering at what point light pollution slash... Uh, like smoke pollution was damaging the stars. Like, how bad was it at the time in nineteenth century France? <laughs> like, mm. I know England had the smog, but we were yeah, um, we were disgusting little dirty place. Mm. Um, it probably depended where in France. Mm. Probably Paris is yeah. pretty fucked, right? Yeah, surely. <laughs> 
But then Toulon is on the sea in the south, so assumedly it's not that bad. Yeah, and then when you're at sea, oh, yeah. winds of fate and Poseidon <laughs> and what have you. I'm Victor Hugo. <laughs> I've read practical <laughs> literature. <laughs> um, yeah, that he's like the vessel is like it's a floating fortress. He, uh, sorry, a floating forest. Um, mm. He gets very into the like. If, look, if you just go down to a dockyard, you will not believe how big these things are. Um, <laughs> kind of gets into that a little bit. Um, I say a little bit, a fair bit, but it was something different for him to wax poetic about for a page, so that was fun. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I liked this line, actually. Um, Whenever immense force is deployed and ends up as immense weakness, men's imaginations are stirred. That basically... You build these huge ships and the sea could just tear them down. It doesn't matter how big you build it. But that just makes humans want to try again and try harder, even in the face mm. of like that kind of destruction. That is nice. Good job, Victor. <laughs> um, but yeah, so for this reason, the ducks are always quite busy because everyone's like, ooh, these ships. Um, and once again, let me remind you, the Orion was in bad shape. There's barnacles on it. Uh, it's kind of falling apart a little bit. Um, it's, yeah, some the, the ship's head's broken a little bit. A porthole on the port side there's, is damaged. Um, mm. So it's in the process of being fixed up. And one morning, the crowd watching her witnessed an accident um so the yard man who is uh fastening the earring i actually when i read this not out loud i didn't clock that as earrings um i know that it's not earrings like in an ear but now i'm picturing it kind of with jewelry <laughs> the yard man responsible for fastening the earrings on the main uh Top gallant on the starboard side lost his balance. Um, oh, that's a bad thing that happened, but I was so caught up in the earrings. Um, <laughs> Tragic, but like earrings? <laughs> but accessorized. <laughs> um, yeah, so this yard man, it's, so it's up high. Um, he starts to wobble, and everyone watching uh, gives, gives a cry, and then plunging head first, the man went over the yard. His hands stretched out towards the abyss, um, and he just manages to grab a foot rope with one hand, uh, then with the other, um, and he's dangling with the sea dizzily, dizzyingly far below him. Um, he's swinging violently. To go to his aid was to take a terrifying risk. And mm. I was just immediately like, oh, I remember a time when to aid a man was a terrifying risk. What if I got crushed under that cart? Young guys remember to think about that. So that's when I knew that only one man could take this risk. Um, yeah, none of the sailors or fishermen could take the risk of going to help him because it's he's dangling so high over like a choppy sea. Everyone can see that he's getting exhausted. Um, like, they couldn't see his face, he was so far away, but, like, from his limbs you can see and that he's so stretched out from holding himself up. Um, he didn't shout for fear, was for fear of wasting his strength, which 
I quite like because you know, you know in movies where some something's happening and someone's screaming, which I know must just be like a gut reaction, but you know where you're like, save that breath, you're about to drown, or because like, <laughs> yeah. you're making it harder for you. Like I know that that's just a fear response, but it felt very powerful that he was like he didn't shout because he didn't like, waste the strength. <laughs> um, sucks to be you, but I'm different, says Stevie. <laughs> I definitely wouldn't be different. <laughs> Then all of a sudden, the crowd catches a glimpse of a man climbing up the rigging with the agility of a tiger cat. <laughs> um, so he was dressed in red. He was a convict. He wore a green cap. He was a lifer. Um, but then the wind, with just cinematic timing, blows the cap off his head, and he's got these completely white hair blowing in the wind. This was not a young man, but a strong man. <laughs> Um, young man <laughs> um, so this convict indeed a convict working on board the forced labour gang um, from the prison hulks so he'd asked his officer's permission can I go save this man's life um, and he was given a nod so with one blow of a hammer he had broken the chain <laughs> riveted to a shackle around his ankle then grabbed a rope um, no one noticed at the time how easily that chain was broken it was only later that people remembered, and it was only later that I remembered the title of this chapter. <laughs> <laughs> so in an instant, he was on the yard. Um, he eyes it up for a second. Everyone holds their breath while they're like, oh, is he actually going to help? Then he's like charging up it. Um, he looked heavenward and then took a step forward. The crowd breathed. Um, so he scales this thing hand over hand gets a rope down um the tension was indescribable says victor hugo um instead of one man suspended over the abyss there were two uh, maths <laughs> uh it looked like a spider coming to catch a fly only in this case the spider brought life not death and i was like that was an interesting choice then of you uh, for the metaphor victor hugo um 10,000 pairs of eyes were fixed on the two, not a cry, not a word, because everyone was afraid if they let out a breath, that would shake the two men on this rope that's suspending them. Yeah. Uh, the convict, meanwhile, managed to lower himself to the sailor, just in time, another minute, and the exhausted and despairing man would have dropped into the abyss. We've used abyss a lot. <laughs> he ties him in a rope, gets him on his back, Get basically gets Ooh, does he? <laughs> he gets him to safety, lets him regain his strength for a second, then picks him up and carried him. Wow, so romantic. I know. This near death moment for them. This is like interpersonal ad where you're like, you saved me from the abyss and disappeared into a crowd, misconnect him. <laughs> He had beautiful white hair glowing in the wind. He was stronger than three men. <laughs> um, so the crowd goes wild with applause. Um, the old chain gang warders were weeping. Women were embracing each other. Everyone's crying, like the selflessness of that man. Um, so he starts climbing back down to his fellow convict laborers. And to hasten his descent, he slid down the rigging and started running along one of the lower yards. And everyone was following him with their eyes because uh, they were stricken with fear. 
because was he exhausted or over overcome with dizziness? Because he's seeming to falter and then teeter. All at once, the crowd gives a great cry. The convict had just fallen into the seas. <gasps> so there's a ship pulled in very close to the Orion, uh, and it seems that the poor convict had fallen between the two. And like from this act of saving this man, the like the people are devastated, and they spend hours searching between the ships and under the ships like desperately looking for a body if not the man to save um but it's to no avail the search continued until nightfall they did not even find the body and then so the end of this chapter we get another little newspaper clipping uh from the toulon newspaper of that day um 17th of november 1823 yesterday a convict on board the orion uh, rescued a sailor, fell into the sea and was drowned. His body could not be found. Uh, it w- is assumed it must have become trapped under the pilings at the Arsenal Point. This man was registered as prisoner 9430 and his name was Jean Vaujean. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. It was he! Who could have known? Just reading these three chapters, the turn... Not the turn, but you know, like the difference between so the first one in the newspaper clippings where it's like, and the people turned on him immediately and the town went to shit, versus this one where like the people all knew he was a convict while he was doing the saving and after he did the saving. Mm. And they were like cheering him so much and were devastated that he fell and that they couldn't find him. Like they they were looking for hours Mm. that. That almost, like, comes as a surprise off the back of that first chapter. I guess, like, the people who are watching him in the shipyard don't know what his crimes are. Where, like, he could just be, oh, no, but they know he's a lifer, so they must know. Ah, interesting. Yeah, you're right. I guess there's also that, like, um, uh, what's it called? Something excellence. Um, That really annoying thing where it's, like, Oh, but you're not like other. Yeah. Okay. I get what you're. I don't know the word right now, but I get what you're saying. Yeah. It's mostly used for like immigrants and people of color and queer people. Um, Yeah. I guess it could also be that thing of like, oh, because he died, and that adds to the legend. Yeah. Why it makes it even more like legendary. Stewing in my silent contemplation there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I just like found it interesting. And like, I guess, I don't know what I felt. If it was like sad for them or just like, why is this town, why are these people so different? That like, I guess the difference bet- between the people of the town that Jean Valjean was mayor of, for them it was like he was helping people and the poor but it's like very much you know he boosted the economy blah 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 whereas this was a like individual one person you Mm. risked your life for but it made me feel a certain kind of way yeah definitely it's um ah victor hugo (laughs) i'm still so annoyed with him but i can't like (laughs) think properly yeah we like over the course of three three chapters I would maybe even just say the last two. You really in that microcosm go through it all with him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The melodrama, the numbers, the racism, the strange humor, the like, I'm a smart boy, don't forget that. 
<laughs> also, it was nice to have that he, like, did a, um, in the first chapter, the, like, previously on Les Mis. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> but I will, I just can't forgive him for line two. Well, I don't worry, I'm not going to get into the details. <laughs> it was the same energy as when we were doing the Waterloo ones. And you oh did all Waterloo, and then he was like, we shouldn't think too much about Waterloo. And you're like, I will. Well, I hope, in fact, where's the line? That Toad's breed on, breed on his grave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So do I. Let's um, let's, let's uh, make that happen. <laughs> let's let's make that happen. So anyway, this has been Brad and Barricades Alema's podcast, produced by me, Neiman Martin, and Julian Niat. And if you want to help us get some toads fornicating on Victor Hugo's <laughs> grave, we'll need everything for this plan. We need planners. We need toad breeders. We need funds. <laughs> We've got speaking up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so donate to our Kofi so that we can get some toads get some toads a breeding I feel like we could also become like tiktokers if we did that I feel like that would be a very uh, tiktok brand thing to do so um, uh, donate to our Kofi so we can have our breakout tiktok debut <laughs> um, if you like this episode uh uh, please give us a review on iTunes and if you had any comments, questions or quibbles, you can email us lamospodcast at gmail.com L-E-S-M-I-S podcast at gmail.com or on Twitter lamospodcast at, twi- at lamospodcast on Twitter or on Tumblr at Bread and Barricades our audio director and sadly not here today, I said that as if she's dead, but she's not um, <laughs> just not a special guest today um, was Jade you can find her on her website, jdwasabi.com, or on her bandcamp, jdwasabi.bandcamp.com. Oh, uh, stay tuned. I'll, we love to string you along like Victor Hugo. Next episode, I'll talk about how this is a new translation that we <laughs> oh <my God>, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One day we'll get our fucking facts and figures in order. <laughs> but sadly, we are not Victor Hugo. Sorry, this is... Oh, I should have been so much before recording. <laughs> so much happiness. Cut this out. Um, Absolutely not. It's going on. Oh, God damn it. Uh, Especially now that you've drawn attention to it. <laughs>